Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Almost Sideways podcast. Uh, it's been a couple weeks since we talked to you. Our last episode was episode 49, and we talked about at the beginning of the episode how it was kind of a depressing episode uh, because of what, you know, of like Super Bowl 49 and things like that. But, but I was talking to Todd and thinking, you know, should we just pack it in and give up at 49 and not do the next episode and and when I when I talked to Todd about this, Todd's response was forty nine. She's not so bad. <laughs> they call it fifty, sixty, call it eighty. Take eighty, two hundred, make a deal. It was close. That was close to what I was uh, hoping you would say. <laughs> Four nine and a half. She's not so bad. <laughs> I, I was I was going for it. No, we're not done. This is number fifty. Um, that's what I want. That's what that's what you said, dude. You you. Oh. I took, like, the whole next, like, segment <laughs> after that. Well, anyways. Four nine and a half. We, we, bot- we botched our moment, but that's okay. What uh, about uh, the, this bus needs to stay ab- above 50? That's, that's what the line should be, Terry. No, no, nothing, nothing works wrong, better. Wrong, stupid automotive movie from the 90s. Nothing works better than, no, we're not done. This is number 50, because this is the 50th episode of the Almost Sideways Podcast, and we are not done, and we're not going to be done for a while. Uh, I am your host, Terry Plecknett. As you've already heard, uh, my co-host, Todd Plecknett, and Zach Saltz are with me as always. Zach, what are you drinking? I'm drinking out of the famous Kirkland, Washington, uh, Costco brand Cabernet. It's delicious and cheap, and the cheapness intensifies the deliciousness. Very nice. I can see my reflection in your wine glass. That was kind of interesting there. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, Todd, what are you drinking? Uh, gin. It's the the Regent gin. I think I've had this on this podcast before. It's uh, it's good. It's like 94 proof, so it's got a little bit of a bite, but, you know, it's gin. I love gin. You sound and- mildly disappointed by it. It's like- because I didn't have anything more creative to drink. I think the last time you drank gin, when I asked you what you were drinking, your response was gin. It's always gin. Oh, always gin. <laughs> yep. It's like Petrovsky. Yeah. I I have uh out of Pelican Brewing Company um in I think it's in Cannon Beach. All it says is Oregon Coast. Tillamook. Out of Tillamook. This is their uh their catch. It's a Kolsch style ale with lemon. It is one of the most refreshing beers I've ever had. Uh, so it it's really good. It's really good. that little hint of lemon. Just uh, it, it takes a lot for a beer to be refreshing, but this is definitely a refreshing one. So cheers. The way cheers. that the light is reflecting off that can makes it look like uh, it's like inside Marcellus Wallace's briefcase or something. Oh like yeah, it's, it's just illuminating brightness. The sun coming in from the window. Yeah. Yeah, it's like mystical. I'm sure the listeners are also oh uh, excited about us talking about what we can see and they can't. <laughs> uh well uh thank you so much for listening as always you can find us at almostsideways.com facebook twitter uh make sure you subscribe rate review to this podcast on itunes let other people know uh the more subscriptions we get the better things are for us 
So get people to subscribe. They don't even have to listen. Just get them to subscribe. It'll help us out. Uh, we're going to jump right into what we're doing today, and we're going to be looking at our movie reviews. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You got to see it. Movie reviews. And with everything that's been coming out, it felt like there were there was a lull in the box office where like barely anything was coming out. And then all of a sudden there were like five films that all came out like last week that were solid films. And instead of all reviewing one, we all picked one and are going to review it. And, okay, well, uh, Terry, I yeah. gotta interrupt for a second. That's a nice way of saying it, but let's let's tell the listeners the truth. We just disagreed about which film to watch. It, it we, truly we, is, yeah. We, we we all wanted to watch our own film, and uh, we just were not patient or courteous enough to listen to the other person, and we just went our own ways. It's true. It's true. Not exactly. We all agreed to watch one before the the previous podcast, and then once it got Did closer, that happen to be yours. We're, well, no, it, we, it was going to be if we could all get to one of them, and, but then, yeah, we were all going to watch the one that I chose. <laughs> and then you just said, like, no, I want to watch this, it looks amazing, and no, it looks like shit, so. It's been, it, that was it, before yours got, like, a, a 25 score on Rotten Tomatoes. And, and, and I was like, you know what, I, I, I don't really, let's just, let's just get some tacos, man. That's <laughs> some tacos. <laughs> It's it's yeah it's it's like you're you're you guys are Russell and Jeff and I'm just the bass player, and and just along for the ride. That that's what I see. Is it Ed? Yeah, is it Ed? Ed? Or is that the drummer? I play bass. That's what I add to the band. Anyways, the chicks are great. Yep, the chicks are great. All right, you sound I... like douchebags. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, I'm going to go first, and the movie that I watched, uh, I think out of the three movies that we're talking about, is the uh, highest reviewed uh, movie of the three, and I uh, and that is Blinded by the Light, the new film from uh, writer-director Gurinder Chadha. Now, uh, Gurinder Chadha hasn't put out too many films. Uh, she is most known for uh, writing and directing Bend It Like Beckham. Which came out in 2002, and this is definitely her most uh, her most uh, widespread film that she's made since then. Uh, and it there's a reason why because it's really good. This is the story of a young uh, Pakistani boy named Javed who uh, is growing up in um, uh, oh he's growing up in England. And, uh, and Javed is wanting to be a writer, but he's fighting against the, his, uh, his Pakistani uh, tradition of, of the lifestyle his parents want for him. And he, he sees it kind of hopeless of him getting out of his small town and making something of himself uh, because of what uh, is expected of him from his family. And then, thanks to a friend of his at school, he discovers Bruce Springsteen. And this is like late 80s after Bruce Springsteen isn't really in style anymore, but he discovers him and realizes that the lyrics that uh, Bruce is talking about is speaking directly to his life. And it really becomes a soundtrack of his entire life. And it turns his entire perspective of, of, uh, of his situation and what he's capable of around. And uh, it, it really becomes this very uplifting, heartwarming story. Uh, the, the main character is played by Vavik Kaura. I think I'm saying that right. Probably not. Uh, but it is a, it is a, 
he does an amazing job. Uh, there's a lot of no-name people in here. Probably the one person that anyone would have heard of that's in the movie is Haley Atwell, known from as Agent Carter from the MCU. She plays his teacher, Miss Clay. Uh, this is, it's such a great movie. Uh, it, it's one of those that puts a smile on your face as you go along. Uh, extremely heartwarming. It's kind of impossible for anyone not to like it. I, it could be a little shorter. Uh, it kind of dragged on a little bit at the end, but I don't really care. It was so much fun. And looking at some of the other films that have come out, especially a film like Yesterday, which is, you know, someone being inspired by the music of the Beatles, this is everything Yesterday should have been. And I gave Yesterday a mild three stars, and I'm thinking of going back and changing it after watching Blinded by the Light because I realized what it could have been and how uh, how endearing it could have been after watching this one. But um, Granda Chata shows, again, that she can make a, a wonderful, heartwarming, uh, inspiring film uh, while paying respect to, like, every... to multiple... Uh, cultures at the same time i'm giving it three and a half stars it's a great movie if you haven't seen it uh go watch it it helps if you're a fan of bruce springsteen i'm kind of like i know music so i know bruce's music but uh but it really gives you a, a deeper respect for for who he uh is and uh and the music he put out and it's based on a true story so it, that makes it even cooler. So um, so yeah, go check out Blinded by the Light. It's definitely worth a watch. Have any of you guys gotten to this, or did you just focus on your movies? We were just selfish uh, and hedonistic and focused on our own movies. Yep. Well, check it out. Check it out. It's worth, it's worth the watch. I will tell you that. It is worth the watch. It sort of begs a philosophical question, which is that... You know, if you see a movie and you give it a lukewarm review like you did for uh, 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 yesterday, yesterday, and then you see a similar theme movie that you liked a lot more, can you actually retroactively change your review? I mean, that's what you're doing, Terry. But yeah, I, I think I think so. I mean, because because it was when I watched yesterday, I was like, okay, this is this is this is okay. It could have been a lot better, but it's not good. But it's not great. But I, I liked it because of the music. And then this is like, okay, this is what, this is what I was wanting. And so, yeah, I, I, I think, I think it's all right. I think it's all right to do that. But yeah, Blinded by the Light, really, really solid movie. All right. Uh, so let's move on. Zach, you're next up. What, uh, what movie did you selfishly watch? All right, I, I selfishly watched Good Boys, uh, the latest uh, comedy produced by Seth Rogen, directed by Gene Stupnitsky, who uh, I think worked on The Office and a few other films. I'm really surprised that Todd was not into this movie at all. Like, like Todd is very resistant to this movie. I'm not really sure why, because I know he's a fan of Superbad, and this movie is like the tween version of Superbad. And we already had the female version of Superbad, Booksmart, come out this summer, which Todd enthusiastically liked, even more more than I did. So I was really disappointed that we all didn't agree to go see this movie. Um, especially since it actually has gotten pretty good reviews. Um, so the movie is uh, a, a portrait of three tweens played by Jacob Tremblay, who you may remember from Room, and uh, Keith L. Williams and Brady Noon. 
and they play a trio of sixth graders. And the movie kind of follows a pretty similar premise to Superbad in the sense that uh, it covers about a 48-hour period in their life as uh, they have to, they go, they sort of go through a series of events that involve alcohol and drugs and a lot of four-letter words and some sex toys, all in a pursuit of getting to this uh, mythical kissing party um, that happens uh, at, at the end of the movie. Um, this is a very gloriously R-rated movie. Uh, there's a, it, it's basically like, I mean, they're, they're trying for like a mixture of super bad, but also like a live action version of Big Mouth, that animated show where kids swear a lot. Um, I do have to say at first I was a, re- a little reluctant, I guess, in the sense that like, I think Big Mouth is pretty immature and not that funny. Um, but then the movie started getting good reviews and I have to admit the trailer made me laugh quite a bit especially the red band version of the trailer. And seeing it today, the movie did not disappoint. This is a very, very funny movie with three incredibly likable young actors. I think that's sort of the key to it. If you don't really like these kids, then I don't really know if you're going to like the movie. In a sense, it kind of reminds me of like, it's like the inverse of Stranger Things in the sense that Stranger Things season three really annoyed me because the characters are now becoming teenagers and they're becoming kind of annoying and I don't really like them that much. But these three kids are extremely likable, even with their potty mouths. And um, believe it or not, the movie is gloriously R-rated and I would stand by that. But actually, the truth is it's not, it's, it's probably closer to like Die Every Wimpy Kid than it is to Superbad. It's definitely a movie that I think tweens in that age demographic would like, especially since a lot of them were in the movie theater, regardless of the R rating, and they thought that it was hilarious. Um, And the movie, I don't think it's actually that puerile. It actually has a lot to say about the nature of friendships and growing up and adolescence. And one of the things that I really, really liked about the movie is how even in the even in the comic scenes, um, it really showed uh, the emotion of being a boy at that age. Um, it showed that it's okay to have emotions and feelings, and it sort of and it had this I think very positive message about um, not falling into toxic masculinity and being very um, inclusive. And there's even jokes about um, you know consent before kissing a girl, which I don't th- it's, it's not a mean it's not mean spirited. It's just funny and uh, very true. Um, in this era. And uh, I thought it was a wonderful movie. It's 90 minutes. It is not a second too long. I laughed pretty much from beginning to end. It never grows stale. It's 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 consistently uh, funny and original, the situations that these uh, tweens find themselves in. Um, I, it was one of the best experiences at the movies I've had, believe it or not, all year. Uh, I give it a solid three and a half stars. And I defy anyone to see this movie and, and say they didn't enjoy themselves. Kind of, kind of similar to what Terry just said about his movie. Wow. But for very, very different reasons. <laughs> and I would say, take your kids to this movie. Terry, take your class to this movie. They would like it. The art, it, it is not as vulgar as the, the trailers would let on. It's uh, actually a very funny and heartfelt movie that I think a lot of tweens would relate to. Yeah, not going to do that, but I, I will... You don't uh, feel like getting fired? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will... Uh, I will take that uh, into consideration for sure, at least what, what you're saying about it. Yeah, I, I I thought it looked interesting. I may still try and catch it while it's in theaters. Uh, Todd, if I remember right, you, you uh, did not want to catch this in theaters. No, I, I mean, 
it was an annoying trailer, and I imagine it's a 90-minute version of that. It's not. And... It's not. It's a lot more heartfelt than the trailer. There's, there's a lot. It's, it's a lot more um, empathetic. The trailer just showed the, you know, most spectacularly um, obscene parts. And that's not going to get me to the theater, so <laughs> I don't. So I don't know why they had that trailer then. Uh, well, Todd, why don't you tell us about uh, about your movie, which by far was the the worst remo- reviewed movie of the three that we watched, uh, and tell us if you agree with the with the reviews. Okay, so I went to go see the new Richard Linklater movie that we all agreed to see, but apparently uh, <laughs> turned back on, and that's Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Uh, it is a movie about this um, architect named Bernadette Fox, played by Oscar winner Kate Blanchett, Oscar and she's winner. like a recluse, and she's like kind of a, an enigma in the industry, she has a husband and a daughter who are both sort of skeptical about her and how she conducts herself, and she does, hasn't really made any projects in quite a while, and uh, her behavior is getting way more, like, caustic, and she ends up getting, like, scammed online, and it's, like, a big, like, embarrassment for her, and she ends up going on this journey to try to, like, rediscover her passion, and uh, from the the trailer's kind of misleading. It's not nearly as kooky and lame as it made it seem like it was going to be. The first hour is sort of like garbage slapstick comedy, but then it turns into something not in the trailer at all in the second half. Uh, I don't think that's a really good way of selling the movie, but uh, that's, that's how it goes. Uh, I really struggled initially with the movie because I it, every other scene would either be like unbearably awful or like really really good there was like nothing in between and it was a kind of schizo and i was really kind of struggling to pick up on what the movie actually was trying to do or say but the second half it it goes places that you're not really going to expect kate blanchett is really good in the movie it's her best performance for sure since carol at least uh billy crudup plays her husband and his he has this like smug demeanor and it, it really fits the character nicely their daughter is played by this newcomer named Emma Nelson, and she's really bad. And I don't really know how that's possible, being directed by Rick, because he's really good with child actors, usually. And then you have, like, random cameos by, like, Steve Zahn, Lawrence Fishburne, Megan Mullally, and then oh, and Kristen Wiig, who's, like, it feels like her, she had a small part, and then they expanded it because uh, she's just so damn irresistible. But uh, the movie has tonal issues, and... I don't, and it's really kind of inconsistent, especially as it goes toward the end. I'm not going to lie and say I wasn't, like, captivated by where it actually goes and, like, watching the struggle of Bernadette, but I'm not, I, I wasn't jumping up and down. And I also really don't like movies that are set in Seattle that clearly aren't shot there. I mean, a lot of it was just, like, green screen. There was, like, one one scene that was set in the, in the public library that's hard to replicate that actually was there. Everything else is, like, clearly not even in this area at all pretty sure it was like an eastern part of canada or something this is uh it was it feels more like a camera crow movie really than a a link later movie which i think is why it got kind of a modest release it was uh written by the writers who did uh me and orson wells which is probably link later's most underrated and under underappreciated work so uh but you can tell in the sentimentality of the movie but not necessarily in its ambition i he, he makes a lot of movies, not all of them work, but, I mean, this isn't one that's going to stand out as being, like, ruining his filmography, but it's it's going to be a kind of a head-scratcher, and which probably, I mean, it, it took, like, forever in post-production. I think it was shot, like, four years ago. It's, like, half of a good movie and half of a bad movie, so it's two stars. All right. 
Yeah, there were some red flags about that movie in the weeks leading up to its release. I mean, any movie with Rick's name on it is exciting, but like you said, Todd, the fact that it was shot such a long time ago, the fact that even in the trailers, it looked just sort of strange. It looked, it, it, it had some odd and eerie similarities, I felt like, to like uh, downsizing in its kind of kooky premise. And uh, Yeah, that's what I was saying. The trailer is really misleading. That's not really the tone of either part of the movie, so I thought that was odd. It'd be more like We Bought a Zoo than downsizing, though. That's not exactly a compliment. Well, for Terry it is. <laughs> I loved We Bought a Zoo. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think Terry would really take this movie. Zach, I really don't know. You probably you make a- you make up your mind before you go to the theater anyway, so True. It's, I mean, it's not like you're gonna like this movie or say you would. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I think Linklater can be kind of hit or miss. I mean, he has there there are the projects that you can tell. Okay, this is this one is totally right up his alley, and it's gonna be solid. Like what if he's doing like a before movie, or if he's doing Boyhood, or even even how much everybody wants some felt like Days to Confuse. You know, it was gonna be a solid movie. But then he's got some that are a little more inconsistent. Um, so like the the Newton, Newton boys, boys. And yeah, that's what I was thinking. Bad news bears. I mean, yeah. the, like he he's got his stinkers, but I mean he has his bar is set so high that I, his floor is actually is actually pretty high. I mean, even even stuff like uh, Suburbia is like I think it's one of the best movies in nineteen ninety seven. No one ever talks about that movie. I've never seen it. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Should. Well, the, all three of those movies you can still see in theaters. Good Boys is definitely available everywhere. Uh, Blinded by the Light and Where'd You Go, Bernadette are a little harder to find, especially uh, Bernadette really bombed at the box office, so that's that's even harder to find now. Uh, Blinded by the Light is one that you can still catch for a little bit, but it hasn't been doing great at the box office, so it might be out, out of the theaters soon. So uh, if any of those sound interesting to you, catch them soon. And doesn't this just validate why we shouldn't have gone with Bernadette? The fact that the two other movies seem a lot better? I think we made the right call. I don't think it's a good idea to just review movies with good reviews, because then our conversations are boring. I reviewed the one that I thought sounded the most interesting of the three. That's what I went with. I I went with the movie I was going to see regardless. (laughs) And I went with the one that most excited me. There we go. So I think we I think we all did what we needed to do, and I think it turned out well. Let's move on into our spotlight segment. Spotlight. And uh, Todd, you and I were talking a little bit before we started recording that you're uh, you're not too happy with this spotlight segment. We'll uh, we'll talk about why in a sec. <laughs> but um, we we are doing a Mount Rushmore today in our spotlight segment and. Uh, in honor of a movie we talked about a few weeks ago, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and it's star Leonardo DiCaprio, we're doing a Mount Rushmore of Leonardo DiCaprio performances. Now, Todd, tell us why you're not happy with this. Well, if we're doing uh, Mount Rushmore, it means we're only going to have four movies, and I feel like there are like ten that are real possibilities. And I know the one Zach's going to choose is not a top ten performance. And now we're just going to have it's going to be this like awful list of Where'd three of from? three performances. 
And, I don't know, it's it's really going to actually piss me off that we're not doing a power rankings on this, because there's going to be a lot of performances we're not even going to discuss that I would actually have had that, I don't know. First of all, I take you, offense to that. Second of all... I think you were we, meant to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could just make it, like, low-key Mount Rushmore of Leonardo DiCaprio performances. I know, but we're wasting this category. This should have been a power rankings category. I'm okay with doing, like... Like the expanded Mount Rushmore and doing like eight, like we each get a pick two. But then that that diminishes the power of Mount Rushmore just being four. That's true. That's true. Well, let's do the four and see how it goes. Well, Todd, since you're the most fired up about this, you tell us where where you're going. I uh, I wanted to I wanted to wait, but okay. I <laughs> there are two his two best performances I'm deciding between, and I know you guys aren't going to pick the other one, so I'm going to go with the Wolf of Wall Street. I, I think it is Leo's most complete and uh, irreplaceable role, and he's way funnier than you would expect. He, and he has like all these different personas. He's like cool, he's slick, he's arrogant, he's pissed off, he's shy. He's like all of them. He does so well, and I, I it's hard to believe he didn't win the Oscar for that role because they would if they voted on it now, it would be a like a sweep. Like he would have won everything leading up to the Oscars, including the Oscar. And I can't picture any other actor playing that role. It's pro it's gotta be his highest war. Uh and uh I think it's either his first or second best performance. I forget, who did he lose to that year? McConaughey. Ah. Uh. That's a solid. That's a solid pick, and and honestly, it was the pick I was expecting from you. <laughs> I I was. <laughs> I I wanted to go with the other one, but uh, other. Just, I don't know. Watch I, know, it I already know what you chosen. guys are taking. All right, Zach, you're next. Where are we going? I'm I'm really so Todd. Will you tell me if this is the one that you you think that I was gonna go with after I say it? Because I well, I'll just say it. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so um, I'm going to go uh, with uh, The Aviator, um, which which I don't know how Todd would have predicted that that would have been the movie I chose. Is it? Wow, that would have, that's not. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but thank, that, that, thank that's, you. That's disingenuous, because every time you have a chance to mention what's the Gilbert Grape, you do. Oh, well, he is, of course, great in that movie. But, I mean, that, that you know, he's great in almost every movie. But I think The Aviator, at least for me, has a lot of significance because this was the first movie... Like, okay, I think he he went through a little bit of a lull, even if no one wants to admit it. But I think between Titanic and The Aviator was a lull a little bit in his career. He was, be, you know, but at that point he was an international superstar. I don't think he was making great choices like Celebrity and The Man in the Iron Mask. And I think one of his worst performances is Gangs in New York, which I hope Terry doesn't say. Um, but uh, in The Aviator... Um, he's spectacular as Howard Hughes. I mean, he dominates basically the entire movie. He shows the the age progression of Howard Hughes and the the uh, uh, I guess re uh, regression I guess of his mental sanity um, as he believably plays someone who comes from a lot of privilege and wealth and wastes his money in. Uh, in an endeavor which he is uh, well, two endeavors really: the film industry and aircraft, which. Um, he makes enemies and friends in, although more fr more enemies than friends. He romances Catherine Hepburn, 
played by Oscar winner Kate Blanchett, second appearance in this podcast. Um, he nails the southern accent, he nails the entitled privilege, and he nails the crazed, manic, obsessive, compulsive, neurotic that Howard Hughes really was. I mean, when you see him at the end of that movie, you know, sitting alone in, the, in, in his theater, naked, peeing in a bottle, watching his dailies, uh, it's just a portrait of insanity that is a total 180 from the beginning of the movie. So um, I don't know if it's my favorite Leo movie on the list, but it's the performance that uh, I think is his highest war, and it's just unforge- unforgettably played. All right. Okay. Well, at least it was a good choice. So uh, that was what I was going to pick. Dang it. Ah. So, because I, I thought you were going to pick. Yeah, I, and, I, and I agree completely with everything you said. Uh, he... He was outstanding in that, and if it wasn't for like an otherworldly transformation into Ray Charles by Jamie Foxx, he would have swept all the awards and gotten his Oscar back in two thousand four. And can you imagine if he had gotten his Oscar in two thousand four? How different everything would have been moving forward. He wouldn't have won for The Revenant. He might have won for Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, I don't know. It just would have been interesting to, if that had happened. Um, I don't think he ever would have played J. Edgar. Ooh, that's a, mm, that's interesting. That is interesting. That's possible. Um, I yeah, I think if he had won for the Aviator, it's possible he might already have like two more under his belt, because that I mean that just would have popped popped his uh his Oscar streak, and then he could have just gone for it. Anyways, I mean, so I gotta pick. Yeah. Sorry, really interesting point though about the aviator. I mean, you could also say the same thing about Martin Scorsese too, because uh, Million Dollar Baby was kind of rushed. It was a really quick shoot. It was a quick. They they really tried to push it for a late December release. So presumably, if that hadn't come out, not only would Leo have won his Oscar, but the aviator would would have won Best Picture, and Marty would have won his Oscar for it. All historical what ifs. That's very true. And the Million Dollar Baby would have won the next year instead of Crash. Oh wow. Maybe, possibly. Or if, Sorry, Terry. if you add Million Dollar Baby to that race, does Brokeback Mountain win? Maybe it cancels out the two Paul Haggis films. Yeah. Anyways, okay. So if I can't go with The Aviator, because it's already been picked, um, I'm I'm going to go with where with where he his superstardom started and go with Titanic. Jack Good Dawson, choice. man. Uh, all right. He gets crapped on so much for what he did in this movie but if you go back and you rewatch titanic he is so good he is so good he is he the camera just i mean it can't avoid him your eyes can't avoid him he has so much charisma and uh his chemistry with kate winslet is undeniable um i think it's something that it, it was so unfair that he got so slammed for for his performance in this movie it was it was so good um and it, it really jump-started who he was and and like you said zach he kind of had this lull after that not knowing what to do however i will say the one exception to that catch me if you can was another one i was thinking of going with he's that that was that and a little bit gangs of new york i'm not a huge fan of that movie but i could see him starting to finally break out of that that shadow of titanic um before he got to the aviator but i've got to go if i can't go with the aviator i gotta go with titanic um what finally made him the superstar that he deserved to be 
Um, even if he was, you know, not praised for his role, he should have been because he was just that good. And it made him an icon that he is now. So I got to go with, uh, I got to go with Titanic. Todd, you hate that choice. Well, no, I mean, that was, honestly, I pictured it going, uh, once you didn't go over great Titanic and then my choice, and then we'd agree on the aviator. So I, <laughs> I don't Nostradamus. know. I mean, it's just. I don't know. If you're going early career, Leo, I it, it would I would go with the Basketball Diaries. I think that's an endlessly more difficult role to play, and uh, and he's really really good in that. But is that what you were trying I, to decide between? No. Okay. Well, now we're to our fourth one. So we've got we've got Wolf of Wall Street. We've got The Aviator. We've got Titanic. Which honestly, I would say that's a pretty solid top three. Uh, I I think I think we did a good job of that top three. I, I don't think anyone's going to have any issue with those three. But now we've got to pick a fourth. So Todd, you said what was the other one you were thinking of going with? The Departed. Yeah, that that's because that that is the role like that he finally broke out. Like I always love that that quote in the forty year old version when like Paul Red's watching. Uh, the Born Identity, and he's like, man, I always thought Matt Damon was sort of a Streisand, but he's rocking the shit in this one. I think that's the way everyone thought watching Leo in The Departed. <laughs> and and it was his first film since The Aviator. Like, he, he followed up The Aviator with The Departed. Yeah, um, I mean, I think he's just, un, he's unbelievable in that movie. It's not necessarily his highest war, but it is so impressive, and he's so good, and I, he's, like, maybe the best undercover cop in film history. We might actually have to do that as a power ranking or something. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. If he had been nominated in 2006, I think he would have won. And, uh... Instead, I, he was I mean, nominated for Blood Diamond. He was. Yeah, Blood Diamond. Leo should stay away from accents. I think that's one thing that he has learned... Uh, especially this decade, a southern accent he can sometimes pull off, but uh, but like the, the 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 Afrikaner's accent in uh, Blood Diamond and uh, the, the accent in Gangs of New York, pretty frightening stuff. Um, but yeah, well, yeah, even in The Departed, his accent kind of goes in and out. Like, but that's sometimes. the point. That's the character, though. Remember, he talks about how he's he's trying to lose his accent. Like they they make a big deal out of that in the movie. Yeah. All right, Zach. <laughs> so uh, so if if you were to pick another one to go up there or to nominate one for the fourth what would it be uh well i have zero problems with the departed but i think for the sake of argument i think you have to consider the movie that he won his oscar for which is the revenant because i think that sort of gets overlooked as a sort of paul newman color of money type apology um or lifetime achievement oscar but he's amazing in that movie it's his most physical movie it's his most physically demanding movie he doesn't have uh, a great deal of dialogue in the movie half the movie he's by himself in the in the the snow in the wilderness um He's really believable in that movie. He, there's, he, it's a very unmovie star-like performance. There's nothing glamorous about it. Um, he's awesome in that movie. And if I could steal another Apatow quote, he's like you know Eric Bana in Munich. You know he's like kicking the asses out of the Palestinians. You know like he's taking names in that movie. I mean you know when he sleeps inside that bear, uh, it's it's amazing. Yeah, that's a good choice. Uh, I was a little distracted. Sorry, Andrew Luck just retired from the NFL, so I think that's uh, kind of breaking news. Breaking news on the pod. Seriously? 
That's what I just saw. I'm watching the uh, first college football game of the year, and that is uh, flashing all over the screen right now. So, Wow. How is he? Whoa. Okay. So who's their quarterback? <laughs> Jacoby Brissett? Oh, yeah, they still have him. Oh, man. That's insane. Wow. Okay. I I, 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 well, anyway, in a, the co- in a couple days, a, when everyone's going to listen to this, that won't be breaking <laughs> news anymore. But we're recording this yeah, on and, Saturday night. The the what is it today? The twenty fourth. Yeah. Andrew Luck would had to be have to be played in a movie by Adam Driver, right? <laughs> that's yeah. It's kind of perfect. If he can get that that neck beard. Okay. Wow. So, that is bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. That just you, you dude. You just ran this all. Uh, is all just out of out of all sorts. Well, I of didn't whack. hear anything Zach said because I was just like, "Wait, what? What? I'm not, am I reading that?" <laughs> all right, well, talk talk about the Revenant then, Todd. Well, I I don't know. I mean, that that's a really good choice. I honestly don't think it's one of his uh, one of the roles that has the highest war. I mean, he he, but I mean, it, he's he's nuts to have played that role the way he did. I I I mean. I wouldn't have a problem putting that on our list because it is his role that won the Oscar, but I don't. It's it's not a movie I personally nominated for. And and Loki, I thought he had a great acceptance speech too. I mean, everyone makes fun of celebrities for you know talking about their political causes and their acceptance speech, but his was like a, actually a really good speech. And and I like you know because obviously his his cause is uh, uh, global warming, and he talked uh, he related it to the production of the film and how they had to relocate production because it was too warm. And I thought I thought that was a really good uh, a speech, and I love that 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 is his identity. I mean, in his life, it is about two things: it's about being a stick man, all time MVP stick man. And uh, a fighter of uh, climate change. Yeah, the the Revenant for me is one that I you're everything you said is right. He's amazing in that role, but for someone who is as good as he is, he is he was so much better in other things. That's kind of where I'm going with well, it. That's why that's not why we're not choosing the Revenant. Yeah, the one the one I'll put out there is is Calvin Candy and Django Unchained because it is so different than anything else he had done. And you could tell it was just, I don't care anymore, and I'm going to just go all out Tarantino style. And um, and it was it was like that role that you just look at and say, holy cow, look at this guy go. Um, and it was it was yeah, him in a it an was him in a supporting role too, which he never which he'd never done. So yeah, go ahead, Todd. Yeah, I remember writing an article around that time because, like, it was clear that he was trying to win an Oscar over the the previous like seven years or so for that from that. And uh, then he's just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna play the villain in this movie. It's gonna be a supporting part, a Tarantino movie. I'm gonna play a slave runner. And I thought that honestly could have been the movie that won him his Oscar, just because a lot of a lot of actors win their Oscar for playing villains. And I mean, he he's I mean, yeah, he is nuts in that movie. Absolutely nuts. I was shocked he did not get the nomination for that, and instead you had. You had uh, Christoph Waltz winning. I thought that was really bizarre. Would you agree with me that his two worst performances are Gangs of New York and Blood Diamond? Todd wouldn't agree with that, but... Well, no, those aren't his worst performances. I... Celebrity, that was pretty bad. I don't know, I've never seen, like, some of those movies, like The Beach and stuff. I but I don't know. I don't think he's bad in Gangs of New York, and I I don't think he's necessarily bad except for his accent in Bullet Diamond. So I I don't know. Of his of his heralded performances, maybe those could have been two of his weaker ones. I guess. 
I, I don't even know where I would start for, for weak performances. I had no problem with Blood Diamond. Um, well, Body of Lies is a pretty bad movie. Yeah, it's not that's like he's what bad I was going to say. He's forgettable. I was going to say Body of Lies. I don't know. Okay, so what are we going with? It sound, so, Revenant or Django or Departed? The Departed. I thought we agreed on The Departed. Are we going Departed? I... I mean, I think we should. Okay, let's do it. I agree. So there we go. So, so our three, uh, our, three uh, Scorsese movies. I, I mean, it, it's it's kind of gotten to a point where it's hard to separate him from uh, from Scorsese. But then again, he's got two great performances under Tarantino now as well. So we've got Titanic, The Aviator, The Departed, and um, Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street. That was the one I was forgetting. Uh, so I'll, uh, I'll put this up, see if, see what you guys think, see if you agree. Uh, I'll put it up on Twitter at almost side Terry. You can uh, check that out and see, and we'll see what you think. And for all of Todd's shit talk about how mine was going to be the most predictable, Todd's choice was the most predictable. I, I think so. I, I think all of us knew he was going Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. I, w- I was going to go to the party, but I thought there was a small chance that one of you might have chosen it. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to keep the Pope alive that can convince you that that's going to be in the top four. <laughs> I, I, th- I think, Todd, though, I think you, you would agree that this was probably the best it could have gone for what, for like the doomsday scenarios you were thinking could have happened. Well, if you would have gone Catch Me If You Can instead, like that would have been ideal. And apparently Gilbert Grape, because you don't think that's as great of a performance for some reason no well it's not a top 10 performance or anything but i thought that's what you were going with top 10 of of leo's career yeah whoa i mean i I think that's a bold statement you can think of 10 better performances of his career than gilbert grape wow well we just talked about like what six of them eight eight (laughs) yeah but gilbert grape for me would be like his number three or four we didn't mention inception we didn't mention shutter island we didn't mention. I mean, you could even put like Gatsby up there. Romeo and Juliet. Romeo Marvin's and Juliet. Room. Marvin's Room. Revolutionary Road. Well, this boy's life is really good. Like he has some good performances early in his career. And like I said, Basketball Diaries would have been my choice. But he was really funny when he was young and on the David Letterman show when he was promoting This Boy's Life. Or it might have been the Basketball Diaries, I can't remember. But that's a really funny YouTube clip. Like, he has a lot of charm and charisma. He's very funny. He looks very natural and not phased by sitting in that guest chair. Pre-Titanic. Well, I think the one thing we've decided is when looking at uh, at Leo's accomplishments and his great performances, as Goose would say in Top Gun, the list is long and distinguished. So uh, we're going to go with that. So, so is his list as a stick man. There you go. There you go. Bonafide. All right, let's move on to power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. Now, uh, power rankings. Last time, I believe I won. Is that the case, Todd? I think I won. Yeah. What, what's our What's you... our score now in our power rankings game? I heard a slight sense of a... Uh, of resentment there. Well, I haven't won in forever, but I'm still in the lead with 13.6. <laughs> and then Terry Never is in old. second with 9.6, and Zach has 8.4. I'm making a comeback. And 
Ben has point four. And Ben has point four that he still needs to distribute at some point. Uh, check out the Red and Brown podcast. Okay. So, uh, we kind of, usually whoever wins gets to pick the topic, but this one we kind of jointly agreed on as we are getting into into the fall, and when we get to the fall, we get to the, the heart of kind of awards season movies, and and that season is getting ready to start, a bunch of the festivals are getting ready to happen where a lot of these movies will make their debuts, so we are doing our top five most anticipated films of the rest of this year. Really, the, the top five films... And we're looking at getting ready for uh, getting ready for Oscar time. So, before we even start, usually when we do power rankings, we say, you know, this is our power rankings, except Fargo. We can't choose Fargo because whenever Fargo qualifies for something, it always ends up like tops on the list. Well, we decided before we would even start, there's a movie we're disqualifying because it would be tops on all of our lists. So we're going to talk about it at the top before we get into anything else. Zach, how excited are you for The Irishman? Oh, I'm I'm super excited. I'm a 9.6 or a 13.6 or an 8.4, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I cannot wait for this movie. Reuniting Robert De Niro and Al Pacino from the glorious movie that was... Uh, uh, it Well, yeah, but I, A Righteous Kill, because we remember how amazing they both were in that movie. Um, oh. <laughs> The last time they were teamed up together. But yes, Joe Pesci, Anna Paquin, Jesse Plemons, who's in every movie, Bobby Carnaval, uh, Ray Romano, apparently. Uh, it's, this movie's just going to rock. And, you know, it's going to be released on Netflix, and maybe that diminishes it a little bit, but we're living in the post-Roma era, and um, it just, it, it, it looks incredible. And I, th- I think we're right to say that this was obviously going to be very high, if not number one on all of our lists. So let's just kind of get it out of the way. We can't wait for this movie. Yeah, this movie really looks interesting. I, I find it interesting that it, it landed at Netflix, which kind of gives Scorsese a little bit freer reign than he normally has. He doesn't have to worry about a studio kind of limiting what he's doing. And this movie has this gigantic budget as it uses a lot of de-aging for for uh, some of the characters, as I think it, it's supposed to cover like 40 or 50 years um, uh, of time. So you, you're taking De Niro and Pacino and Pesci and de-aging them for a good portion of this movie. So I'm, I'm curious to see how well that works. But uh, but Scorsese never steers you wrong. I mean, he, he always comes out with great stuff, even when... I mean, the last movie he came out with was Silence, which was this movie that on paper sounded like a like a drag and ended up being this amazing compelling um portrait of this time frame and really scorsese's heart and soul so um yeah whenever he's coming out with something it has to be like number one and then you add in like you said you add in the first time he's directing pacino and de niro teaming up with scorsese again and the first time uh we've seen pesci since what the good shepherd so uh love ranch okay yeah, love ranch helen mirren classic but he came out of he came out of retirement the first time for the good shepherd and his one before that was gone fishing <laughs> wow yeah so he's made like three movies since then and he was supposed to be retired retired but marty talked him out of it because he looks so much like the guy he's playing and because so he's you, marty so do you think marty could talk andrew luck out of retirement <laughs> potentially you, you never know you never know all right, so so Todd, what are, what are your thoughts on on the Irishman? 
Well, Scorsese's my favorite director of all time. De Niro's my favorite actor of all time. Pacino's top five. It, I mean, I've wanted to see this movie for, like, five years since, you know, it was back when it was called Frankie Machine and everything. I, I don't know. I, I can't wait to watch it. I just wish that it was going to be a wide release and not a semi-limited release with Netflix because I don't feel like this movie should be watched on the small screen. Yeah, that's the one thing, is how wide of a theatrical release is it going to get so that so that people can see it, not just on not just on Netflix. And one of the things that also bothers me about uh, Netflix releases is they're not releasing any of their films in any other format, either. Like Roma, if you want to watch Roma, you have to watch it on Netflix. You can't buy it digitally, you can't uh, buy a Blu-ray or a DVD... It is only available on their streaming service, and I think that's, I think that's kind of poor for them to be doing that. But, um, but still, it's weird because like you could you could buy House of Cards DVDs. I think that's because House of Cards started before the digital world was as entrenched as it is. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I'm really excited for it. We're all really excited for it. And now we're moving on to our top five most anticipated, not named The Irishman. And Zach, I'm going to start with you. All right. So, you know, the big news of today is Andrew Luck retiring. But there was another big news in the last 24 hours. Big, big news relevant to this podcast. And that was the trailer and announcement of El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. That's right. The follow-up to what ostensibly happened to Jesse Pinkman as he rode away from Uncle Jack's drug cavern and uh, after Walter White's death. And the trailer shows Skinny Pete being um, interrogated about the whereabouts of Jesse Pinkman. And uh, all that the description is on, on IMDb is following the escape of a kidnapped man in his quest for freedom. So presumably that kidnapped man is Jesse Pinkman. Um, it's directed and written by Vince Gilligan, and the only actor who's in it, according to MDB, is Aaron Paul. I mean, look, this was always going to be on my top list, uh, but I didn't really know that it... I mean, there were rumors about it, uh, but the fact that it will be coming out in October of 2019 just makes me so excited. Um, I can't quite put it number one because I, I think the ending of Breaking Bad is perfect, and there is a chance that this movie might tarnish the... Uh, total perfection that is that last season but uh i'm ready to go i can't wait to see it it's going to be awesome so i haven't watched all of breaking bad yet so zach thank you for no a shit. few spoilers there um i am gonna get to it i'm gonna get to it i'm stuck in uh-huh. uh, i'm stuck in game of thrones right now first and then i'm gonna get back to breaking bad but todd how excited for you are you for this movie coming up well, I didn't even know about... I mean, I knew that they were planning a movie. I didn't know it was that deep in production that it's going to come out in October. But, I mean... Like, wow. I, I mean, I guess I would have probably come across the trailer if I wasn't quarantined for the last 24 hours watching 13 Reasons Why Season 3. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I... Yeah. I Now, I can't wait. And that should have... That would have definitely been on my list if I would have known about it. I'm going next. My number five is uh i'm guessing one that's not going to be on your guys's list and that's okay um my number five is the uh is uh the follow-up or the i wouldn't say follow-up the uh the latest movie from the director of thor ragnarok uh this is uh written and directed by taika waititi it is called jojo rabbit 
it is uh, uh, trailers come out for this and it just looks bizarre. It is uh, the synopsis on IMDb says a young boy in Hitler's army finds out his mother is hiding a Jewish girl in her, in their home. Uh, Taika Waititi himself plays Hitler and it looks it, it's weird. Uh, Thomas and McKenzie is in it. Sam Rockwell is in it. Scarlett Johansson, Rebel Wilson, Stephen Merchant. Um, this is going to be either like the greatest thing ever or the worst piece of trash of the year because it is so off the wall bizarre in how it's portraying this like if if inglorious bastards talked about hitler out in left field this is out in right field uh it it's like it it is way way out there but in a completely different way uh I'm so intrigued by this movie. I think it could be, like I said, it could be amazing or it could be horrible. And that much going on, I'm super into it. Taika Waititi did great his last time out. I'm looking forward to it. Number five, Jojo Rabbit. Have either of you guys heard of this movie? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm into this. I, I think it's gonna be, it's gonna be a lot of fun. One way or the other, whether it's trash or gold, it's gonna be it's gonna be worth the watch. Well, either way, the critics will love it because they loved to, uh, Thor Ragnarok, which was trash, and they love what we do in the shadows, which was awesome. So, well, there you either go. way, all right, Todd, number five. Okay, number five, I guarantee is not on your guys' list. It's a movie called A Million Little Pieces, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Uh, it comes out December sixth. Mainly, I have this. On, it's about a drug addicted writer who goes through a detox or something but the it's got like the most todd cast imaginable we have aaron taylor johnson we have charlie hunnam juliette lewis giovanni rabisi billy bob thornton and even gary bertier like all these guys are in the movie it's, it's like as todd of a movie as i have ever seen sam taylor johnson hasn't made a movie since she did 50 shades of gray and she hasn't directed to her husband since before they were married with nowhere boy but I don't know, the trailer looks uh, different, but uh, maybe even, like, inspiring in some way, which I think it's odd. But uh, for the cast alone, I had to mention it. A Million Little Pieces. So, two thoughts about that movie. Number one, can Gary Bertier quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts? I mean, I know he'd have to move from defense to offense, but I think it's possible. I think and, he's too old at this point. I think he was, like, 34 when he was playing a high school kid in Remember the At Titans, least so. 34. <laughs> <laughs> at least and, and then, now uh, he's in a wheelchair. He was in. <laughs> That's <yeah>. true. <laughs> he was in Saving Private Ryan. Now that I think about it too. Oh, James Francis Ryan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> James so, Francis Ryan. So, Todd, do you know like the story behind the book A Million Little Pieces? Uh, no. So it was based. Do you know Terry? It, I do it was not. A, it was a book written by James Fry. It was a big thing about 15 years ago because it was a national bestseller about his drug addiction. And it was chosen as one of Oprah's first uh, Book of the Month Club books. And then it was revealed that he fabricated a lot of his personal stories. And then Oprah, it, it, got, it was a very big scandal because Oprah removed it from her book list in spite of the fact that it was a national bestseller. And then she did this interview with him where she basically, um, you know, really assaulted him in terms of him making up his stories and such. So uh, it's interesting to see, you know, that this movie is now in production. I wonder if people will remember it because it was, it was a pretty big deal when it happened. Hmm. Wow. You had more information on it than I did. 
I didn't know it was being made into a movie. But maybe maybe it's because no one remembers it, except for weird people like me. And Oprah, I'm sure. Probably. Who's probably not, not one of the producers of this film, I would, I would guess. All right, Zach, number four. Okay, number four for me is a movie that did very well at the Cannes Film Festival this year, and is by a director whose previous films um, I've been a fan of. And if we're talking like total Todd movies, like A Million Little Pieces, uh, the films of Celine Siama are very, very Zach movies. Uh, her movies include Tomboy and Girlhood and, her, and Water Lilies. And her latest movie is Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which uh, the trailer's out for it. It tells, it's set in the 18th century, and uh, it's about a woman who's uh, going to be engaged, uh, but it's, I think the marriage is being imposed against her will, and there is a female artist who's been commissioned to do a portrait of her, and uh, obviously she is opposed to the marriage, and it seems like it's about uh, their relationship, um, both as artist and subject, and I think eventually as lovers, as it has been labeled an LGBT movie. Um, like I said, I really like Celine Siama. She does really cool work, very f- uh, feminist sensibility. Um, I've been impressed with everything she's done. It did very well at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, it looks really, really good. Looks pretentious and stuffy in French, but also sort of explosive in its sexuality. Maybe a little bit of like Blue is the Warmest Color meets The Favorite. Uh, I'm very excited about it. I can't imagine this movie being too disappointing because it has great reviews. So um, it's, it's one of the big French releases of this year, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah, that was the one I thought was the front runner to win the Palme d'Or, but a lot uh, of people did. Came, came up just short. So, yeah, I really want to see that too. All right. Yeah, that then the trailer looks amazing. That 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 is a good one. Number four on my list actually is the film that won the Palme d'Or, and that is Parasite by uh, Jun Ho Bong. Uh, I have not seen any of his movies, but I know that you guys have, and you guys are are into a lot of the stuff that he's done. I really want to see some of his movies. And I've just heard amazing glowing things about about this film that is this kind of... I, I mean, it's listed on IMDb as a comedy drama thriller, which, I mean, it's kind of interesting that those three go together. Uh, it's, those are his uh, films. Yeah, it says on, uh, it says on IMDb, All Unemployed, uh, Kai Tyke's fi- Family takes peculiar interest in the wealthy and glamorous parks for their livelihood until they get entangled in an unexpected incident. Um, the trailer looks fascinating. Um, a movie to that gets up and wins a Palme d'Or and then still has buzz going about it uh, this late. A film, a foreign film like this that's getting a, a decent release. I mean, there's, there's best picture buzz for Parasite. Uh, I'm really interested in seeing this. Um, I can't wait till it comes out. It's number four on my list. Yeah, that's going to be really good. I, I love Juno Bong's movies. I think it's interesting he's going back to foreign language films after making Okja and uh, Snowpiercer. But uh, Memories of Murder and The Host, those are some of the best movies of the 2000s. So, yeah, I can't wait to see Parasite. Agreed. I think there was some uh, speculation from the Cannes Film Festival that it was more of an award for him Jun Ho Bong and maybe not so much the film, but who knows? That's why it's not on my top five. I also I like Okja and Snowpiercer, but I mean I'm not crazy about either of them. But uh, I am curious to see this film. Um, the front, like you said, Terry from the trailer, it looks really kind of twisted and unique and pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Todd, number four. 
Uh, number four, I have a movie, the new movie by the the Safdie brothers named uh, Uncut Gems. Uh, it comes out December 25th. It is about a New York diamond dealer played by Adam Sandler who gets robbed and has to pay off all his debts while the clock ticks against him. Uh, the Safdie brothers are awesome. They made these movies, uh, Daddy Long Legs, uh, Heaven Knows What, and Good Time. All, like, standout indie movies, and this movie is really going to put to test how good they actually are, because the rest of the cast includes Kevin Garnett, uh, The Weeknd, and Adina Menzel, <laughs> and adding in uh, Adam Sandler, that is a uh, definitely an ambitious cast to, uh, to go about in the principal roles, but uh, I, I can't wait to see what it looks like. The trailer was awesome, and uh, I'm sure it'll be gritty and uncompromising and entertaining, so I, ha- I had to put it on here, because the Safdie brothers, they definitely make top movies. Yes, yes they do. Yeah, I, I love the Softy Brothers. I've not seen the trailer to this movie. I wasn't aware that it was out, but um, and I think Adam Sandler can be one of the best actors in Hollywood when he's given the right role. And uh, I love Good Time. Loved Heaven Knows What. This this movie narrowly missed my top five. All right, Zach, number three. Okay, number three for me is uh, a uh, the new movie by the second movie by Robert Eggers, who directed The Witch, which was on my list of the top films of 2015. And that movie is The Lighthouse, and it only has two actors listed on IMDb as uh, in the movie, and that is Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. And based on the trailer, it really looks like those are the only two actors in the movie. Um, the trailer looks pretty freaky and crazy. Uh, it's it, the the plot synopsis is the story of two lighthouse keepers on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s and uh, it's shot in black and white and it looks like a Bellatar film with very long shots that are of the sky and of the of the ocean and um, of these two characters who look like as the trailer goes along that they're going insane. Um, I love movies that just have characters in isolation that gradually go insane. Maybe that's why I put Leo's performance in The Aviator as my number one favorite Leo performance. Um, but uh, this movie looks awesome. Um, I think Robert Eggers is crazy talented and these are two actors, neither of whom have Oscar. Oscars, interestingly enough, they probably should, but uh, I cannot wait to see their chemistry, and this movie looks amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that one as well. It didn't make my list, but that's definitely one I'm going to be looking looking for when it comes out. Yeah, yeah, same. I, I, I'm really looking forward to that. Everything about it just looks amazing. And, yeah, I had that in my honorable mention, so... All right. Not quite on the list. Number three for me is a movie I I really was I was aware of but not really looking forward to until the trailer came out within like the last week or two, and now I am super uh, I'm super fascinated by it and I'm really looking forward to it. And that is Greta Gerwig's take on Little Women. Um, like I said, this was one where, you know, what do we need another reiteration of this classic story? But then after I saw the trailer and saw what she did with it, um, I'm really I'm really curious uh, of it. I'm really looking forward to it. The the cast is kind of insane. You've got Saoirse Ronan, Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, uh, Timothy Chalamet, Meryl Streep, Laura Dern, Bob Odenkirk. Uh, of course, Tracy Letts has to come back after being in Lady Bird. Uh, this is her follow-up to Lady Bird, and it looks very much kind of like she took Lady Bird to a period piece to make Little Women, and 
uh, I'm okay with that. I'm I'm really curious at how how good this is going to be. I'm and I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Comes out Christmas. Yeah. So before this podcast, you know, we were talking about possible best picture front runners, and at this point, if I were to make the odds, I would put Little Women as the number one best picture front runner. What was the last time like a classic novel adaptation won best picture? Like it never happens. Um. Well. Uh, but gone with the wind (laughs) i mean come on like it doesn't happen okay but like i don't know i mean gerwig was nominated two years ago shisha ronan's been nominated timothy chalamet has been nominated like it has all these you know young exciting people talent in the industry who are have been have been recognized by the oscars but haven't won yet and it just it has the the cast and the pedigree and the studio support and the release date uh, to, it checks the check marks off all the boxes i still go with marriage story yeah i'm not sure if it's gonna make its way all the way up to best picture but i i would i wouldn't be surprised if it was nominated all over the place including gerwig potentially getting her her second director nomination i kind of put it in the pride and prejudice category 2005 like that movie had everything going for it too and it ended up just sort of getting in the artistic categories and best actress and that was it yeah we'll see i'm i'm curious i'm i'm excited uh and uh yeah i'll be going to see it todd number three uh my number three is as far away from that as you can get and that is rob zombies three from hell (laughs) comes out september 16th uh there are no uh trailers uh, no like plot synopsis either there's only a teaser trailer all we know is that it's the sequel to the devil's rejects uh, and I've always been a big fan of Rob Zombie, his music and his movies. I think his Halloween movies are particularly really underappreciated. He's a really interesting visual director. But uh, House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects are definitely his forte. And giving us his third movie is just all that. I mean, it, it, it's like getting Kill Bill Volume 3 or something like that. I, I can't wait to, to see this. And uh, I, and I can't wait to hear what his original song is going to be that goes with it because he has some of his best music is his original songs for his movies. All right. Wow. Yeah, that, wow. That, I think that is as polar opposite from Little Women as you could get. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. All right. A little variety. And Clint Howard is in it. He plays someone named Mr. Baggy Britches. <laughs> of course that he does. sounds like uh, he fits in that world. All right, Zach, number two. Okay, number two is a movie that in um, maybe maybe ten years ago, actually definitely ten years ago, this movie would have been my number one um, of the year. This director has uh, disappointed me, though, this past decade, but I cannot deny that seeing the trailer for this movie really excited me and hoped to see and, and, and hoped that he kind of returned to his forte. And that is Terrence Malick's A Hidden Life, um, which is a three-hour uh, biopic of an Austrian conscientious objector um, during World War II who defies the Nazis um, who tried to, I think, enlist him in the military. Um, the trailer looks a lot like a Terrence Malick film, lots of uh, short lenses, with or wide lenses with uh, very scenic mountains and people running around and bed sheets and uh, yeah so um, I, I like I said I would have been a lot more excited for this film if it had come out like in 2009 because Malick's films this decade have been um, pretty terrible since uh, The Tree of Life although I will say that uh, I, I did like To the Wonder but Night of Cups and Song to Song especially Song to Song were, were pretty abysmal so I'm hoping that 
with an editor that maybe can help him a little bit. Although I, I like I said, this movie's three hours long, so it does make you wonder a little bit. But maybe just getting away from Austin, Texas, and maybe getting away from musicians and um, big Hollywood actors will help him a little bit. I think this movie looks a lot more like The Thin Red Line than like Song to Song. So um, I, I'm just going to choose to be optimistic about this and hope that the master has one more masterpiece left in him because uh, prior to his collapse this decade, he was truly one of cinema's great artists. And uh, I think the trailer for this movie looks pretty awesome. So any you know, anytime you get a, a three-hour film about a conscientious objector with sweeping visuals, I mean, I'm there. Let's do it. I'm down. All yeah, right. you put that perfectly. Like, you're going to choose to be optimistic. That's the same way I am with that movie. I didn't put it on my list because, like, I know that he's capable of making, yeah, song to song or whatever, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> it, it does look really interesting, and, and I definitely not the kind of stuff that he's been doing recently. Yeah, for me to actually be intrigued by a Malik movie is saying <laughs> something. So, uh, and this one has me intrigued. So, it, it made my honorable mention. I think it's on my, it's on my long list or my short list. Oh, I made my short list of honorable mentions, so that's a good thing. I we, have should like have entire, we should have an entire episode devoted to when the three of us saw the Tree of Life together. Oh man, that, that was that, that was that was quite an experience. I remember walking out of there saying, "Man, what a little crap we just watched." You guys are like, "That was a masterpiece!" <laughs> like, what uh, did we watch the same movie? Yeah. And- and it was also the only time I can think of in my 30 plus years of going to the movies where the the, the, the projector broke. Like, do you remember that? Like, like, with 20 minutes to go, the movie stopped, and then they had to fix it. I must have been asleep at that point. I do not you remember that were. at all. So what happened when we walked out of the movie was Zach said, well, that was all right. And then, and then Terry's like, I think it sucked. And then oh wait, and then Zach's like, "Wait, I was being sarcastic. Are you are you serious?" <laughs> All right. Number 2 on my list. Uh Zach mentioned um like Little Women might be his favorite for uh, best picture. Possibly my favorite for best picture right now is my number 2 on the list and that is 1917. Uh written and directed by Sam Mendes. It is a World War One epic with a star-studded cast, and apparently with the entire film it shot in one shot, uh, which is going to be an interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, it, it's that's, that's what cool. I've heard. That's what I've heard. <laughs> um, but yeah, this cast: Benedict Cumberbatch, Richard Madden, Andrew Scott, Mark Strong, Colin Firth. Uh, I mean, there's there's a bunch of great actors in this. It's about um, two young British soldiers during World War One. Are given an impossible mission, deliver a message deep in enemy territory that will stop their own men and one of their own brothers from walking straight into a deadly trap. So it almost is like saving Private Ryan for World War One. It feels like, um, but Sam Mendes when he's on, there are a few better, uh, and uh, this this has the potential to be his masterpiece and so i i'm really excited to see how this turns out it's number two on my list i mean there have been more movies that have one best picture that were shot in one shot than great literary adaptations so <laughs> i guess maybe that's True. that adds to your credibility terry and there there are very few great world war one movies too that that's another thing so uh, i'm i'm excited like from the historical point of view of seeing seeing a good movie set during world war one uh so yeah 
Wasn't War Horse World War One? War Horse was World War One. Like I said, it's rare to get a good yes. movie. Yeah, good. set during World <laughs> yes. War One. Exactly. Yes. I, I would put Wonder Touché Woman too. above War Horse in solid <laughs> World War One set movies. True. Yes. Okay, Todd, number two. Okay, my number two, it wouldn't be a list unless I had an untitled movie, so I have the untitled Todd Haynes Project. Uh, there's no release date yet. Uh, it is a about a corporate defense attorney taking on an environmental lawsuit exploring the history of pollution from a chemical company. And if that sounds like a Mark Ruffalo movie, it's because it is a Mark <laughs> Ruffalo movie. Uh, <laughs> It also has Anne Hathaway, Tim Robbins, and uh, the great Bill Camp. Uh, I, it's mainly on my list because it's Todd Haynes. I, he's the only director other than Linklater that's had multiple number one of the years for me in the, this millennium. And so everything he does, even Wonderstruck, I was highly anticipated for. Even though it was disappointing, it's still I still really liked it. He's He, uh, he never makes bad movies. And uh, I wish he would write his movies more often, but I'll just take his directions. Uh, it's... Uh, yeah, that this is going to be awesome. I hope if we ever get a trailer or something, I hope it gets released this year. So, but that's my number two. All right. I mean, the only thing about that movie is like the plot synopsis is like it sounds like the most untaught Haynes film possible. I know. I noticed that too. I mean, it's, it's a it's a Mark Ruffalo movie. At this point, no trailer still entitled. What are the chances it actually comes out this year, Todd? Hey, remember Phantom question. Thread? We yeah, were that doing podcasts like in November, <laughs> and it still didn't have a title. That's true. <laughs> and it was coming out December thirtieth. <laughs> it wouldn't have surprised me if like we got a trailer for that movie that said, and it just got to the end, the untitled Paul Thomas Anderson project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Zach, number one. All right, so Todd put his Todd Haynes film um, high on his list by the virtue of the name Todd Haynes. And my number one is also number one, um, not so much because of the plot or the actors, but because of the filmmakers behind this film. And that is the latest film by uh, Jean-Pierre and Luc Dardenne, the Dardenne brothers. Um, The film is called Young Ahmed. Played at the Cannes Film Festival. Anytime the Dardennes come out with uh, a new film, it pretty much is guaranteed to be the top of my most anticipated list, and this one is no different. The plot is a Belgian teenager hatches to plot to uh, catch, uh, ha- excuse me, hatches a plot to kill his teenager, af- his teacher, after embracing an extremist interpretation of the Quran. Um, the trailer is out for this movie. It looks very awesome. Um, the only time the Dardens come into problems with their movies is if they're a little too plot heavy, kind of like Lorna's Silence or The Unknown Girl, both of which were very good movies, but I don't know, they just had too much story and not enough, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I just, the Dardens should just film movies that follow characters walking for an hour and a half, and I would just be enamored by it. Um, anyway, I love their films. I love that they haven't gone to Hollywood. I love that they've stayed true to their social realist roots. And uh, I love also how multicultural their films are. And this movie looks extraordinary. So um, I'll be first in line to see it. Young Ahmed, shocker. Right. Yeah, that that's yeah, that that was that was predictable. If if I knew the Dardens were coming out with a movie, I would have predicted that number one on your list. Um, number one on my list. Uh, I've been going with a lot of you know potentially critically acclaimed, best picture contenders. Number one is about as popcorn as you get. 
Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Um, I, I'm, I feel like it's kind of weird. Uh, the more and more removed we are from The Last Jedi, the more it sounds like it's just kind of the consensus that it was horrible. I loved The Last Jedi, and I'm super looking forward to how they conclude this new phase of the trilogy. Um, all the all the main characters are back, even Carrie Fisher in a, in some archive footage that they shot for one of the other films. They were able to make that, uh, that scene fit into what's going to be happening. You also have a return of Palpatine. Um, you've got some newcomers coming to the cast, like uh, Carrie Russell, Richard E. Grant, Dominic Monaghan. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm super looking forward to this and seeing what they do with it. It's still Star Wars. However, like I said, it feels like not, not too many people are that excited for something like this, especially after Solo kind of tanked last year, even though Solo was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. That's my number one. I'm going to be seeing an opening weekend, fighting the crowds. It's it's going to be worth it. Well, I'm definitely going to see it too, but I'm not looking forward to it because it's not Ryan Johnson. Like, I think Last Jedi was, like, the third best Star Wars movie, and they're going back to the guy who kind of just made the most predictable and boring of, like, the last, like, five of them. And I, I, think, I think Abrams is going to try to patch up the uh, awesome like wild things that Ryan Johnson took the the series to and he's going to make it really sort of stale again. Let's so I'm not really looking forward to it that much. But see, I liked The Force Awakens and JJ Abrams has done some really good things. So if he's got if he's got the story where it is now, where he might take it from there, it it has the potential of being great. Or I mean at at worst it's it's Return of the Jedi to to The Empire Strikes Back, which is a solid movie that had to wrap everything up, so it wasn't able to be as great as it could have been. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Todd, what's your number one? Please tell... Alright, I, I, I predicted... I have a prediction of the movie that is on Todd's list. I have yet to hear it. Todd, do not disappoint me. Your number one is... My number one is directed by Edward Norton. Yes, it is! <laughs> and it's called Motherless Brooklyn. I knew it! <laughs> Of course. It was I was probably going to be number 1 over the Irishman honestly. Uh it comes out November 1st. The trailer just came out like a few days ago. Uh, it's about a detective with Tourette's which obviously is Edward Norton and he's amazing at playing that kind of thing. He his it looks like he's doing his thing from the score and um he's trying to solve the murder of his friend and mentor. It's the first time that he's actually written and directed the movie. Uh he got rights to the book back like right after it came out in 1999 he's been trying to make it ever since and it was officially announced in like 2014 so i've been like looking forward to this movie for a long time yeah i was gonna say this movie was announced years and years and years ago yeah and it's also got willem dafoe leslie mann alec baldwin michael kenneth williams and uh bruce willis in what could be his most oscar potential role since like in country or something uh, and he moved the setting also from the 90s to the 50s, so it's definitely going to be like a real true detective film noir kind of thing, and uh, I think it looks fantastic, and I cannot wait to see this. I hope it gets a wide enough release that I'll be able to see it on November 1st. I knew it. I knew it. And when I lo was looking, I'm like, okay, Motherless Brooklyn, if this is not on Todd's list, he's lying to himself, or he doesn't know it's coming out. <laughs> So thank you. No, I I've been tracking this movie for the longest time. It, it always just said pre-production for like 
you know, six years on, on IMDb. Thank you for not disappointing me, Todd. I thought it was going to be Downton Abbey. <laughs> no, I only so, watched a few episodes of that show. So, Todd, let me ask you something. So, if I were to see Motherless Brooklyn or The Irishman before you, and I were to text you and spoil the, either of those movies for you, would that sever our friendship forever? No, they're based on books. I could easily have read the book. I don't... That doesn't matter. I mean, I, I won't do it, but I'm just curious, because, like, you know, you've talked about how you've been looking forward to these movies for years. If you would have told me what happened at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I would have, like, driven to Kansas. <laughs> killed you. <laughs> but no, I mean, no, if it's based on a book, I don't think that's a spoiler. It's like if a movie's been out for ten years or something. Alright, Zach, do you have any honorable mentions? I do have a couple of honorable mentions that we've already mentioned, some of which we've already mentioned on this podcast. Um, uh, Jojo Rabbit, um, mostly because of, I'm curious to see Thompson McKenzie. I thought she gave the best performance of anyone in any movie last year. Um, Marriage Story, which I think Todd briefly mentioned, the new Noah Baumbach movie. I haven't loved Noah Baumbach, but um, this movie looks really good. I'm intrigued by it. Parasite. Uh, which Terry mentioned, Uncut Gems, which Todd mentioned, and then a movie which no one has mentioned yet, which is Queen and Slim, which is the new Daniel Kaluuya movie, which looks really, really good. The trailer looks awesome. Um, Looks like a sort of updated black Bonnie and Clyde type movie. Um, Really, really cool looking. Can't wait to see it. All right. I've got got a list. I end up with a list of about 18 movies, and, uh, but I'll I'll just get, list list my, uh, my five honorable mentions. Ad Astra, um, Brad Pitt in space. It looks it looks fascinating. Um, we were just talking about Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson seems to do great work, so I'm super intrigued by Knives Out. Star-studded cast, murder mystery, whodunit. It looks awesome. Agatha Christie knockoff. Yeah, but I, mean, I think it's gonna be awesome anyway. Yeah, yeah. The trailer <laughs> looks looks amazing. Um, I I know a lot of people are crapping on this on this movie before it even comes out, but. Ang Lee is someone to watch no matter what's coming out in Gemini oh, Man. Oh, uh, it geez. has me intrigued. It has me intrigued. Oh. There's a reason it's on my on my honorable mention and not on my top five. But um, it was better when it was called Looper. Yeah, kind of. So I'm. I, we'll see how that goes. Um, a Hidden Life was already mentioned, and one that hasn't been mentioned yet, Harriet, the Harriet Tubman mm, uh, biopic, uh, looks really interesting uh, as well. Um, yeah, Todd. Any honorable mentions? Okay, uh, ones that have been mentioned: uh, Parasite, The Lighthouse, and A Hidden Life. And the other one I have is Jane Silent Bob reboot. The reason why it's not on my list is because they're doing this weird release where it's only going to release on a Tuesday. Like, there's only one day it's going to be in theaters, and for like one showtime. And then they're doing a road show in like December where they're going to go to all these different cities and watch the movie and party with the people that watched it with them. <laughs> so I'm going to try to do one of those. I just don't know if I'm going to actually be able to watch it in the theater. And I think it's strange. Cause I mean, he's got, he's got all the people back. Even Damon and Affleck are back for this movie. And I don't know why it's, he's doing this like really like experimental release with it. It's not even a streaming thing either. So I, I don't know. All right. Did uh, did Jason Mewes give any reason for it in that movie of his that you watched that you reported on the last podcast? No, it was not. It was not mentioned. Although when I did see the Jane Silent Bob uh, comedy show, they read a scene from the Jane Silent Bob reboot. This was like two years ago or three years ago. So I actually know kind of what happens in, in part of this movie. Nice, nice. 
Okay. Yes. Time to get to our game. We are guessing uh, the list for Adam Daly on his most anticipated films. Uh, he is a fellow Almost Sideways contributor, uh, has been a YouTube personality in the past, has been a co-host on the Red and Brown podcast. We're going to see how well we know him and how uh, how well we can predict his, his five most anticipated. So, Zach, what do you got for his top five? Uh, number five is 1917. Number four is A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with Tom Hanks playing Mr. Rogers. Number three is The Irishman. Number two is Joker. And number one is Star Wars The Rise of the Skywalker. All right. Uh, for me, number five, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Number four, It Chapter Two. Uh, number three, The Irishman. Number two, The Rise of Skywalker. Number one, Joker. Todd, what do you got? Okay, I'm either going to crash and burn or own this. I have number five, Joker. Number four, Jojo Rabbit. Number three, Dolomite is my name. Number two, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And number one, Honey Boy. Good stat. What is Honey Boy? Oh, Honey Boy, it's it's the, like... The Shia LaBeouf written movie where he plays his dad or something. Yeah, it's, like, based on Shia LaBeouf's life or something. And... I, I got a text from Adam when that trailer came out. All it said was "Honey Boy" with like ten exclamation points. So I have a oh, little inside information. So, but Dolomite is my name. Seems like an Adam, an, a movie Adam would flip for. So we'll see. So, yeah. So before this podcast, Terry and I both agreed that we we knew what our numbers two and one were going to be, and we didn't even have to tell each other, and we were right. See, but Adam hated the Last Jedi. He so. did. He did. That's why I didn't have it on there. That's why it wasn't my number one. Okay. All right, I have Adam's list here. Let's see how we did. Honorable mentions. Honey Boy, the Shia LaBeouf biopic. <laughs> no! Uh, Doctor Sleep, cry. the Shining sequel. Uh, Beautiful Day in the oh, Neighborhood. Yeah. Mr. Rogers biopic. Knives Out, Ryan Johnson directed. The Hunt, the recently postponed movie. Uh, Jojo Rabbit, Taika Waititi. Uh, Disney Plus, just Disney Plus That's in general. Not a movie. It, it, it's it's is an anticipated debut, and <laughs> he says uh, new episodes of the Almost Sideways podcast is on his honorable oh, mention, the most wow. anticipated. Yeah. Forget that he did. So three of mine got mentioned in honorable mention. That is just disappointing. All right, number five, Ad Astra, Brad Pitt, space IMAX equals take my money. Um, num- I love his takes. <laughs> Number four, The Lighthouse, A24, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. Looks weird, beautiful, and I'm intrigued. Number three, Joker. Phoenix looks mesmerizing. I'm skeptical, but still intrigued enough to be excited for it. Number two, It Chapter 2. First mm. film made my top ten of the year, so I'm excited for this last installment. And number Son of one, a bitch. The Irishman. My favorite director, along with some of my favorite actors, sticking with the genre they are epic at. Yep, I'm sold. And they said, hey, two clowns in my top five. Sounds like a Power Rankings idea. Mm. I don't know about that. I got one. I I got... He didn't even have A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood mentioned. His number one was was it was an honorable mention. It was an honorable mention. Oh. You were still reeling over the fact that uh, Honey Boy was... Uh, I thought yeah. I nailed that too. Well, I got three. Yeah, you win, Terry. Yep. I exactly. Got two. And I got one, right? No, I got two. I got Irishman and Joker. Yeah, Irishman. And I got Irishman Joker in it, Chapter Two. As soon as I saw it, Chapter Two, I'm like, oh, that's totally on his list. I don't know what you guys were smoking. That was going to be on my list. I knew Star Wars was going to be on there. Four of them yeah. were mentioned on mine. So. Let's see here. 
How many of mine were mentioned? Well, three of mine were in there. And then... Four of mine were mentioned. The only one that wasn't was Star Wars. Dolomite. I think we should. I think we should all get a. We should all get a third of a point because our podcast is on his most anticipated list. Should we all get rounded up to the nearest number? Yes. (laughs) I like it. So I get a point, and then we all round up. Is that what we're doing? Yes. Yes. So Terry's getting one point four points. Zach's getting point six points, and I'm getting point four points. And that makes sense and, because and it should we, be me like, second place, your third place. Are we cance- like canceling out Ben then? <laughs> no, no, yeah. no. I think so. I, I mean, he did. Or he or did look- not say he did not have on his honorable mentions new episodes of the Red and Brown podcast. Oh, so I think Ben loses points for that. He loses, so he goes back to zero. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Or at least this point one. You know. So. Terry just like well I guess he didn't technically well so he's going yeah so now Terry is at eleven Zach is at eight and I'm at uh thirteen dude I'm 14. making my comeback 14. I'm coming can we give I'm Andrew Luck a you. point maybe he'd come <laughs> no, on our Zach's podcast when he's retired <laughs> okay wait eleven not nine and 14. Okay. I, I don't know how I screwed that up. I don't know either. How's the chin? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's uh, move on and get into trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. As always, before we start our trivia game, we have some movies that we need to review. Uh, Todd, you were assigned your movie uh, much earlier than I was, so you are going to start by talking about the movie you were assigned. Tell us what you got. Okay, I was assigned a movie from 2014, I believe. It was uh, called Two Step, uh, directed by Alex R. Johnson. And it is a sort of neo-noir thriller uh, about a guy named James who goes to visit his grandmother, but she dies, like, right when he gets there. And then he's stuck in this, like, cat-and-mouse game with other El Paso residents. There's the next-door neighbor uh, uh, whose name is Dot. And it's actually, like, the only notable actor in the movie. It's, like, the main witch aunt from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Other than that, I did not recognize a single person in this movie. <laughs> uh, she uh takes him she takes like sort of takes him under his, her wing or something like that and they have like this really uncomfortable friendship and there's also this con artist who's released from prison named Webb and as well as his drug dealer Dwayne who are uh in the also in this orbit of characters uh it's a claustrophobic atmosphere to an extent it's got a bit of like solar's point in it i I know that all of you have seen that now (laughs) and uh but it's definitely (laughs) it definitely feels like one of those small movies that i actually would have discovered before zach heralded it as being one of his uh elite movies of the decade apparently is what he told me um it's not nearly that good but it is compelling and uh the actors are I, i think they're all a little lazy except like the one guy uh james Landry Herbert, who plays Webb, who's doing this, like, bizarre early Dennis Leary channeling kind of thing. Uh, there's a bit of Fargo in the movie. It's definitely Coen Brothers-inspired, but I think it's yes. 
closer to like I don't feel at home in this world anymore than it is to like Blue Ruin. It's a it's a good movie. I I did really enjoy watching it, but I think it's a, not definitely not a Zach movie at all. I give it three stars, and I'm I'm really curious to hear why Zach actually loved this movie so much. Um, I love this movie because I discovered it. I think. Um, I mean, you know, you always bring these, you know, bizarre movies that no one's heard of, like the new Rob Zombie movie. I mean, you're always coming up with one. I want to come up with one every once in a while. I mean, this movie has like 14 votes on IMDb, you know, so I watched it really randomly, like about five years ago, right after it came out. And I I actually remember really liking it. Um, I, I will be honest, I don't remember a whole lot from it, except I do remember that the aunt from Sabrina the Teenage Witch was in it. I, I did remember that. And uh, I also remembered how, like, the prison, you know, the guy gets out of jail and he's at, like, a really low place. And this guy inherits his grandma's house and he's at a really high place. And then, over the course of the movie, they kind of exchange, like, where they are um, in terms of being, like, high and low. Um, I, yeah, so I, I, I really like the movie. Maybe I was exaggerating a little bit when I said it was one of the best of the decade. But I do think it's a really good movie. And I do remember having some serious Coen Brothers vibes and uh, Blue, Blue Ruin vibes. And I, I just thought this is a total Todd movie that Todd did not see before I did. So he needs to see it. It's kind of like when I assigned you guys the fundamentals of caring to watch. It's like, hey, it's a movie that I discovered and you guys have never heard of. You're watching it. And I love it. It's fun, it's fun to discover movies. Yeah. All right, so, so let's uh, let's move on to the movie I had to watch, and I there there's a there's a theme here between their two movies. One is Texas, and two is Zach's low key like love and adulation for this movie because he assigned me uh, the is it I think it's a 2012 movie is when it actually came out here, uh, Bernie. Which is written and directed by Richard Linkletter, which Zach said, low-key, this is Linkletter's best film. Um, stand by it. And you, and you stand by it, yeah, yeah, which I, I don't understand. I mean, I like the movie, but, dude, he's got, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. so Bernie stars Jack Black, uh, Shirley MacLaine, and Matthew McConaughey. Jack Black plays a mortician, a, a no, an assistant mortician who is really, really good at his job, and he's very good at comforting uh, the grieving family. And he ends up comforting this widow who is uh, this mean old witch in the, in the town that nobody likes. And he ends up getting in, in her inner circle and uh, discovering the world with her. And then he feels completely suffocated by her and has to get out. And uh, Matthew McConaughey plays a district attorney uh, trying to figure out what happened. Um, this this was such a fun, quirky movie. I loved it. Uh, I've, Zach, I know you've said that this is probably Jack Black's best performance. And I think I'm going to agree with you on that. I mean, he, is, he does stuff in this movie that he doesn't do anywhere else. Um, and he shows that he can actually act when he has to. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was a whole lot of fun. I loved it. It, it was, it was putting a smile on my face and the way he did it, it was, it, this is a very link letter movie. Like we talked about earlier in the podcast, how there, there are those like link letter, like staples of what makes a link letter movie. This is a link letter movie in the fact that like he went to the town and the people you hear from are people he actually interviewed that were from this town. And it's, uh. 
and, and it just shows how, how Linkletter does this. It feels like a documentary, and then you see Jack Black and Shirley MacLaine and Matthew McConaughey act it out. Um, and, and I even read somewhere that, that the actual Bernie, like, lived in in uh, Linkletter's garage apartment for, like, three years at one point. I mean, it, it the Linkletter is just a weird dude. But uh, this is a fun movie. I really, I really enjoyed it. I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna give it three and a half stars, uh, and it was worth it. It was definitely, definitely a fun watch. Not, yeah, I mean, not I, his best, not his best. Okay, maybe it's, it's not his best film, but like it for me, it's like maybe the most enjoyable experience I've ever had watching a Rick film. I mean, from start to finish, this is such like a compelling story that immediately grabs your attention. Um, I have the song "Love Lifted Me" on my phone. I sing it a lot like the way Jack Black sings it. Love, love, love lifted me. Um, I love it. Uh, I love Shirley MacLaine in this movie. The scene where uh, they it's towards the end of the movie and they move the trial to that hick town 20 miles away and they show the jury box and the woman drinking the big gulp and the guy with the beard. When I saw that scene, um, I, I lost it. I lost control of myself. I actually had, I almost hyperventilated because I was laughing so hard. I, it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a movie. People were looking at me because I was laughing so hard. I missed like a good 10 minutes of the movie. I think it is absolutely hilarious. Jack Black is out of this world in this movie. Do you, Terry, do you see a little bit of nice Mike Drawbaugh in this, in this role a little bit? Just, you know, nice inside joke. <laughs> You know you do. I, I bet he's listening out there. Shout out to Nice Mike. Um, yeah, I love this movie. Absolutely love this movie. That's a that's a great connection there. You can see it. I can. You know you can. I can see it. I can see it. Uh, okay. Yeah. Todd, what are your thoughts on this one? I know you've seen it. Uh, yeah, I think it's good. It's a it's a solid three star movie. It's in the lower half of rick's movies but i mean it's still it's still watchable i i think i did only actually watch it the one time all the way through so but jack black is is really good i don't know if i would say it's his best performance but it's definitely in his top three all right well let's get to trivia zach you're leading trivia since you've won like the last two things we've done what are we doing all right so we're going to keep it very straightforward this time uh, my intoxication levels dictate that we cannot make it too complicated. So, we are going to do um, actors and actresses who have appeared in multiple Best Picture winners. This list is inspired by Leonardo DiCaprio, who appeared in both Titanic and The Departed, and arguably, a lot of people say The Revenant should have won Best Picture in 2015. If it had won Best Picture in 2015, he would have appeared in three Best Picture winners. So I have a list of 163 actors. I doubt that we'll get to all 163 of them, especially because some of them are like from the 30s and 40s, and they are very bizarre actors that no one has ever heard of. But... Uh, again, the list is actors and actresses who have appeared in multiple Best Picture winners. Um, most of them are probably two films. Some of them appeared in three. The most uh, are about six or seven, but I will, I'll just give you a hint in advance. The ones that are six and seven tend to be from the 30s and 40s and pretty obscure actors who I've never even heard of. So, um, 
Yeah, I would I would suggest the strategy I, I would go with for this one is try to go as recent as possible. But uh, you know, that's just that, that's just the way I would do it. So again, I'm I'm straddling for time a little bit. I want to give these wonderful contestants a little bit of time to think up people that have appeared in multiple Best Picture winners. Um, but uh, we are going to start with Todd. Uh, Ray Fiennes. And and uh, you, it, it would be great if you could name the films that they were in. I, I won't require uh, it, but uh, it would be nice if you could. The Hurt Locker, English Patient, Schindler's List. That is, that is correct. Ray okay. Fiennes. That, 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 that was not one I had even considered. Good job, Todd. Uh, I'm going to say uh, Michael Keaton, Birdman and Spotlight. Birdman and Spotlight for Michael Keaton are correct. Mahershala Ali for Green Book and Moonlight. Mahershala Ali for Green Book and Moonlight is correct, although, of course, we know that uh, it shouldn't be that way, but uh, that's okay, at least for for, uh, Green Book. All right, how about uh, Viggo Mortensen for Green Book and Return of the King? Viggo Mortensen for Return of the King and Green Book is correct. I'm going to go with... Robert De Niro for The Godfather Part 2 and The Deer Hunter. That is correct. Wouldn't be Todd's list if he didn't mention The Deer Hunter. Uh, how about uh, Meryl Streep for The Deer Hunter, Kramer versus Kramer? I think that might be it. Uh, and there's one more. I'll give you the point, but... Uh, okay. Oh, out of Africa? Good job. Back to you, Todd. Okay, I'm gonna go. Uh, ben Affleck for Shakespeare in Love and Argo. That is correct. Where do I want to go? How about let's go Clark Gable for Gone with the Wind and It Happened One Night. Correct. Marlon Brando for. The Godfather and On the Waterfront. That is correct. Uh, Jack Nicholson, One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, The Departed. Uh, that is also correct. In Terms of Endearment. In Terms, in of, terms of Endearment. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go Russell Crowe for uh, Gladiator and A Beautiful Mind. Oh yeah, that's a good one. That is a good yeah. one. That is obviously correct. <laughs> as we just talked about that extensively in the last podcast. Uh, how about uh, Al Pacino for Godfather and Godfather Part 2? That is obviously correct. John Cazal for The Godfather, Godfather Part 2, and The Deer Hunter. That is also correct. Robert Duvall, Godfather, Godfather Part 2. And so we've, we've, we've uncovered a trend here. Um... <laughs> Diane Keaton, The Godfather, (laughs) Godfather Part 2, and Annie Hall. And Annie Hall, good job, yes, correct. Uh, Talia Shire, Godfather, Godfather (laughs) Part 2. And Rocky. And? And And Rocky. There we go. James Caan, Godfather, Godfather Part 2. No, Uh, no, never mind, hold on, hold on, that's that's not what I'm saying. uh Uh-huh. Well, he what yeah, kind of is actually? Yeah, yeah. He, he was in both, so that that counts. Yes, he's uh, listed in both. Yeah, well, yeah. He he's had, in like well, one uncredited. scene. He's credited yeah, with, but he's on this list. He's credited. I wasn't with sure both. if you were going to count that or not. <laughs> I counted. Come on. 
Uh, okay. Um, Dustin Hoffman, uh, Kramer versus Kramer, Midnight Cowboy. And? And, oh, Rain Man. Yes, correct. Uh, Willem Dafoe for Platoon and The English Patient. Correct. Uh, Gene Hackman for French Connection and Unforgiven. Correct. Michael Pena for Million Dollar Baby and Crash. Correct. Wow, good one, Todd. Hey, pulling pulling out the big ones there. Uh, Robert Redford for Out of Africa and the Sting. That is correct. Jeffrey Rush, The King's Speech, and um, uh, the other one. And um, the other one. The other one. I don't think I know, that won I'm, Best Picture. <laughs> oh, it was, I mean, uh, Shakespeare in Love. Correct. How about uh, our boy uh, Leonardo DiCaprio for... Uh, uh, I, I, I don't want, no, no no Leonardo DiCaprio. No, we can't do... Because I already he, mentioned He him. said him in the intro. Dude, yeah. whatever. <laughs> uh, how about, um, let's go Clint Eastwood for Unforgiven and Million Dollar Baby. Good one, yes. Morgan Freeman, <laughs> Unforgiven, Million Dollar Baby. Correct. And, there's one more. Um, Driving Miss Daisy, but I'll still give it to oh, you. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Okay, Terry, back to you. Uh, let's go Shirley MacLaine for uh, Terms of Endearment in the Apartment. And? I don't know. <laughs> Not Bernie, sadly. Uh, she was also in Around the World in 80 Days. Yeah, I wasn't going to know that. Um, Christopher Walken for The Deer Hunter and Annie Hall. Correct. Oh, good one. Um, Another one, Terry. I'm running. I'm running out. Give me a sec here. Oh, I I came so far. I can't lose it now. Um. Yeah, you've done well. I, I've done better than I thought effort. I was gonna. I, I've done better than I thought I was going to do. Um. Oh, oh, oh! How about Jodie Foster? Silence of the Lambs and Tax. No, Tax Driver didn't win. Dang it. Um, that didn't work. Yeah, that I I gotta count that, yep. and and that is that is not a correct answer. Todd, do you have any more? Yeah, I had I had three more that I've written down right now. I had uh, Christopher Plummer for The Sound of Music and A Beautiful Mind. Correct. Lawrence or, or Peter O'Toole for The Last Emperor and Lawrence of Arabia and correct. Guy Pierce for uh, The Hurt Locker. And uh, a king's speech. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So Todd wins by a final score of like twenty to fifteen, something like that. We did good. We did good. Some other notable ones that you missed: Lawrence Olivier was in Rebecca and Hamlet. Oh. Yeah, I thought about Olivier Mm. after I was done. Uh, James. It made an interesting habit to name the movies. <laughs> James Stewart movie. was in You Can't Take It With You and The Greatest Show on Earth. Um, there were a couple of other notable ones. Uh, Sophia Coppola, you could have mentioned for The Godfather and Godfather Part 2. Um, right, we could have gone for it. We could have gone, what, 
Abe Vigoda. <laughs> Colin Firth, The English Patient, Shakespeare in Love, and The King's Speech. John Goodman, The Artist in Argo. Mm, Alec Guinness, Bridge on the River Kwai, and Lawrence of Arabia. Charlton Heston, The Great Show on Earth, and Ben-Hur. And someone who we mentioned on the last podcast, the inimitable Judd Hirsch, Ordinary People and a Beautiful Mind. <laughs> uh, all right. So Todd wins trivia. I knew I knew I wasn't going to win, but I'm surprised I lasted as long as I it, did. You did. It was it was a formidable effort, Terry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's finish off this podcast with our quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Todd, you won. You get to go first. Okay, so since football officially started today, I went with, what else would I go with but uh, the league? It's going to be probably my favorite exchange they ever had in the leagues. There's like 15 different uh, changes in character, so I'm just going to read it through. It kind of makes sense. It's from the Season 2, Episode 3, called The White Knuckler. And Andre starts it out by saying, I met this doctor, Dr. Maxwell. Real class act. And then Pete says, uh, is he black? He says, how'd you know? Nine times out of ten, when a sportscaster is referring to someone as a class act, that means a head coach who's black. Like Tony Dungy. What a class act. Totally. Lovey Smith. Class act. I never noticed that. I mean, is it happens all the time? It's not just football. Sportscasters use these code words all the time. Like, if they're talking about a Latino baseball player, it's like, Ozzy Guillen is a firecracker. Latin guys are always firecrackers. <laughs> spark plug. Spark plug in the clubhouse. Wes Walker is like a gym rat, a real scrappy player. That's a code word for white. Ichiro Suzuki is inscrutable. <laughs> and that's my quote of the day. I love it. I love it. Oh, I miss that show. I know. They really need to bring it back. Yeah. You can't even stream it anywhere. It's, that's, un, that's really, really bad. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to go next. Uh, my quote... Uh, I have a I have a couple different things I'm gonna quote. Um, this is relating back to the movie I reviewed, um, Blinded by the Light, and I'm gonna quote some Bruce Springsteen lyrics to you. These are the lyrics that made a poor 16 year old boy who hates his place in the world fall in love with Bruce Springsteen. These are the lyrics from the song Dancing in the Dark. I get up in the evening, and I ain't got nothing to say. I come home in the morning. I go to bed feeling the same way. I ain't nothing but tired. Man, I'm just tired and bored with myself. Hey there, baby, I could use just a little help. Messages keeps getting clearer. Uh, radio's on and I'm moving around my place. I check my look in the mirror, want to change my clothes, my hair, my face. Man, I ain't going getting nowhere. I'm just living in a dump like this. There's something happening somewhere, baby. I just know that there is. So there you go. And then one quote from the actual movie as he's uh, heading off to uh, to high school. His dad shouts from the car, Stay away from girls! Follow the Jews! So. <laughs> that, was, that was his advice to him as he's going to, uh, as he's going to high school. So. Beautiful. Yeah. Zach. Quote. All right. Well, my quote comes from Jesse Pinkman, played by Aaron Paul. And this quote comes from the what I think is actually the worst episode of Breaking Bad, which is better than the best episode of Game of Thrones, and that is Fly from season three. And Brian Jesse, Johnson. 
Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The direction wasn't bad in that episode. Um, the line is, "Did you know that there's an acceptable level of rat turds that go into candy bars? It's the government, Jack. Even government doesn't care that much about quality. You know what is okay to put in hot dogs, huh? Pig lips and assholes. But I say, hey, have at it, bitches, because I love hot dogs." <laughs> I can't wait to have Jesse Pinkman back in my life. I really hope that movie delivers. Oh yeah, me too. All right, and and with with that, uh, we're gonna bring this podcast to a close. Thank you once again for listening. Uh, after you're done with this, go watch some movies. Go hear about Andrew Luck retiring, and uh, we will catch you in a couple weeks. <laughs> Mentioned that like ten times. I know, I know. We will catch you in a couple weeks uh, with another deep dive. Until then, have fun watching movies. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.